Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times with the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again and we are just under two weeks away from WWE Survivor Series War Games, which means the product has picked up in intensity over the last week, there was tons of setup for this show that went down across SmackDown and Raw this week. And of course, the Silver King Adam Silverstein and vintage Chris Vanini, he's back. We will be breaking it all down for you in the coming moments on this very podcast. But you know, it would not be an addition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. It would not be an introduction into an episode of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. If the Silver King did not remind you that this show is all- so please, folks, stop making me ask. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being a mark for the Silver King Adam Silverstein, vintage Chris Manini, and more importantly, the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast as a whole. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave us those five-star ratings on Apple. Take a couple moments out of your damn life like three people did this week and leave us brand new five-star written reviews. Let everyone know how much you love the show, why you listen, and tell them why they should subscribe to this performance-enhancing audio in their ear holes every single week. As I said, every time we get a five-star review fully written on Apple Podcasts, we will read it right here, and that's exactly what we're going to do. First, coming in from John Gray, 1986, massive fan of the show, listening here in Ireland, five stars, And his comment was the same thing. Massive fan of the show. Listening here in Ireland. Well, I am glad that you're a massive fan. And I'm glad that you're listening in Ireland. Shout out to all of our Irish brothers and sisters joining us here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Also, Slim Slimmington wrote in, Silver King is the goat! Exclamation point. Starting starting well right right there, Chris. I like that. Uh, Yo, when Silver King dropped that Jay-Z clip on the last episode... I said, this guy deserves a slammy. Love the show. Adam and Vintage are awesome. And Jay-Z is my favorite rapper. Thanks for the content, guys. Well, I can certainly promise you he's better than the other rapper that was in that spot. And uh, one more easy five stars from Spash9. Five-star review, obviously. Adam always puts together a strong show. And I've enjoyed his wrestling views for a while now. The same night PLE PPV reviews are just as enjoyable as the wrestling shows themselves. And sometimes even better, especially if Adam goes on a rant. Chris and Adam really helped me stay engaged with the product during the downtimes. And now with Triple H handling the book, I'm looking forward to Chris and Adam's opinion on the product moving forward. Three great reviews, all five stars. Thank you all for being loyal listeners of the show, aka Getting Over Heads. Also, before we move on and I finally bring Chris back onto the show, let me remind you to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Episode drops, news, videos, gifts, fun stuff all week long. Follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Chris, welcome back after your one-week sabbatical uh, spent in the beautiful state of Oregon. Yes, good to be back. Apologies for not being around last week, but I was making a trip up to Oregon to visit Oregon and Oregon State for a, a couple of stories. Listen to last week's episode. Thought you did a good job. I know you wanted your space to kind of go on your rant about uh, money in the bank and Austin theory and all that. Well, I didn't, so I didn't you, want you the space, but I took advantage of it. Is yes, what I will say. You, you got that space. I always um, prefer so to be on the show. That was good. Um, plenty to talk about. I wanted to open up real quick, though. Yeah. 
some you bring up some prestige TV shows in the past. We've talked about them briefly. Mm-hmm. I just started for the first time watching Yellowstone on Sunday. Have you watched that at all? So I'm in a really difficult uh, position here with Yellowstone because it is um, the premier show on my employer's uh, one of my employer's <laughs> networks. Um, and, and but but I, I say this to say that I've never seen it. And mm. I I think you guys know if there's a major drama show that exists, I'm either going to watch it like as soon as I possibly can or it's going to be on yeah. my list. Yeah. And for some reason, I can't get Yellowstone on my list. Every person I ask about it basically says the same thing to me. Like, it really doesn't start that well. But once you get into it, you're addicted. And that's not the greatest, like, advertisement to get me to watch a show. Like, when I was talking to people about Mad Men, they were like, yeah, you know, it's really slow. But once you get into it, the only reason I watched Mad Men is because we were stuck at home during a pandemic. Now, ultimately, Mm. did that pay off? Yes, because by the time Mad Men finished up, it was fantastic. But it's much easier to get into a show like a Breaking Bad or a Better Call Saul where you are hooked immediately right as soon as you begin. Um, You know, certainly any of the Game of Thrones types of shows, Succession, Billions, like those shows, Mr. Robot, they're so easy to get right into. Yellowstone, I'm apprehensive to start it because, look, what is it in Wyoming? Like Wyoming, Cowboys. Where is it? Montana? Montana. Ranchers, that whole deal. That doesn't really speak to me. I'm from the East Coast. I'm a New York and Florida kid. You know what I mean? So like I say kid, I'm almost washed. Man, older gentleman. Um, but so I, I don't have the motivation to get into it. But if you tell me it's good, maybe I'll start. So what's wh- why do you want? Yeah, I, I like I knew it's like the most watched drama on television. I, I heard is. about it for so long. And the season five premiered um, Sunday. Oh, it's in five. It's in season five already. Holy it's in season shit. five. Well, it was only ten, only ten episodes ish per season. But I, I I caught the season. I was like, I should kind of check this out, see what I think. I watched the season four finale right beforehand. I read up real quick on like. Wait, wait, wait. Are you from, saying you didn't watch seasons one, two, three, and four? You just correct. Watched? Well, I, I'm not saying I'm all in on the show yet. I'm just saying oh, okay. I watched yeah. it for the first time. Uh, I can just to see, see why. Just to see like, hey, yeah, what's just this? to see yeah. like, is, could this be interesting? I think it looks pretty good. It's on. It's 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 uh, it's on the Peacock. So anybody who's listening probably has Peacock for uh, WWE. Um, it's on there too. So I, I gave that a shot, and I'm gonna uh, get into it a bit more uh, moving forward. So I did get a couple people um, sending DMs to us, which I I love this that you guys actually do take our recommendations. And and Chris, you know maybe I will give it a, st- a watch, but I usually start with the beginning. I, I won't just watch it mm-hmm. in the middle of the show. Um, but I did get a couple DMs from people that started watching Mr. Robot after I mentioned it with all the Bray mm. Wyatt type of stuff on the show. All of them are loving it. So I'm glad that you guys are watching it. And thank you for taking the recommendation. And anyone who hasn't seen it but does like the Bray Wyatt stuff that's going on, I highly suggest giving Mr. Robot a shot. It used to be on USA Network. I assume it's on Peacock, but it, you, you never know with these streaming I think it was on Prime. Days. I think we looked it up. I think it was on Prime. Oh, yeah, that's right. You said that. Yeah. So, okay, Amazon Prime. Um, So watch that. It's really good. Chris, let's actually get into the professional wrestling aspect of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. And it is great to have you back on the show. Uh, We have the main event uh, forthcoming. We have the good, the bad, and the ugly coming after that. Of course, this is really the setup episode for WWE Survivor Series War Games. Before we get into all of that, a couple topics I wanted to address off the top. First of all, I was very critical last week of that raw crowd in Wilkes-Barre. 
And did you want to address that at all? Like, did you agree that it was as terrible as I thought it was? It was so noticeably terrible. I felt bad for all the performers who couldn't get any reaction on anything. It's hard. It's hard to work in that environment. You should have felt bad for me having to do this show by myself, trying to make a non-exciting show exciting in terms of what <laughs> happened on Raw. But I wanted to say that to say this, which is that WWE crowds were way, way better this week. Indianapolis on Smack for SmackDown was fantastic. And Lexington Monday night was 100 times better for Raw than Wilkes-Barre was last week. So serious shout out to the folks in Lexington. They were all over Austin Theory. They even had some really unique chants for wrestlers throughout the entire show, not like the standard stuff you hear every week. They no, wait, wait. Sorry, it's not Lexington. It was Louisville. Oh, I thought it was Lexington. No, it's Louisville. I remember seeing the Louisville logo on there, and I just looked it up to double check. It was Louisville. Okay, well, far be it for me to give praise to a home of an SEC East institution that is not Gainesville, Florida, and the Florida Gators. So allow me to retract all of that undue and unnecessary praise I just gave Lexington. Let's switch it to Louisville, which was fantastic. Not surprising, probably a better city than Lexington uh, in the first place. But uh, Louisville was fantastic. All over Austin Theory, like I said, really unique chance for the wrestlers. Not like the standard shit that we hear every single week. They did Where's Your Briefcase for Theory. Good crowds, Chris. When it comes to wrestling, any brand, any company, good crowds make all the difference. Absolutely. That was very noticeable, especially SmackDown and Indy. Uh, Indianapolis has been a good crowd. Yeah. Time and time again, you kind of you kind of get that sense. Yeah. There's just such a difference when WWE goes to like major or mid-major cities. And now now that you're saying it, it makes sense that it was Louisville and not Lexington, which is, you know, a little bit more of a smaller college town. It's still a big it's still a, a big town, but it's not Louisville. It's not, you know, Chicago or Indianapolis. There is a definite difference when they go to cities like that and places like Wilkes-Barre, you know, or um, what's what's the other one? I always forget. I, I always Lafayette, to, Louisiana. Lafayette, Louisiana. Yes, like New Orleans and Lafayette. Those crowds are completely different. So shout out to the Louisville crowd as well as Indianapolis for SmackDown. Speaking of SmackDown, it got a new intro package this week with a rap theme. And I couldn't pinpoint it. I was like, mm, this is an interesting theme for a show. So I listened back. I even got my phone out. I tried to like Shazam it. Nothing came up. And it turns out, I think it's just some generic like rap song that was created in house. Now, look, even though ACDC, it's a legendary rock band, no question about it. Are you ready as the SmackDown theme for me really wore thin over the years? And I thought this, despite being generic, was still an improvement, even though it replaced a legendary rock song. And then I thought, well, okay, coming on to Raw, we're going to get a new intro package and we're going to get a new theme for Raw as well. But it was identical. So this all makes me think maybe the ACDC licensing ran out and they weren't able to use it anymore. But I was surprised to see changes come to one and not the other. I don't know if you noticed at all, but I figured I'd bring it up. I didn't notice at the time because I don't think I caught the beginning of SmackDown or I was watching football at the same time. And I missed the opening. But you mentioned it, I think, on Twitter or something like that. So I went and found it. And yeah, it, it was... It was uh, different and better. Not like amazing, but I, I thought it was better. And I looked up SmackDown on Fox debuted in October of 2019. So if you so you imagine the license for that ACD song, ACDC song started probably around then. And it's yeah, November four year now, deal. So I'm, yeah. so I'm not it, it, I don't know if they extended it a month. I don't know exactly what, but um, 
It could have been uh, through the end. Yeah, of the month, it, it was a, like it that. was interesting. Like, they, they've had some hits and misses on songs. I uh, don't really love the current raw setup, uh, but you're the right. one that preceded it, it, it was good. The one the, the yes. song that they used, uh, I I always forget who it is because I'm not necessarily a fan of the artist, but the song that they did that was it was the same one that they used for the Bianca Belair vignette where they initially introduced her with all the the colors flashing like that that all time mm-hmm. vignette one of the greatest of all time for mm-hmm. Bianca Belair they used it for that and then like 3 months later they used it as the raw theme that was a, a really good recent tv show theme everything else is just like whatever yeah it's kind of been whatever they've had some real bangers but not not for a while i i miss the 90s you know what we used to get for Raw is War, like those songs yeah. were incredible. I have that and, on my iPhone, and I give AEW credit because when they started Dynamite, basically what Tony Khan did, and I have no proof of this, but I mean I have to believe he said to someone, "I want that exact type of song, but not that song." <laughs> so like make yeah. it as close to the old Raw is War song, but just you know for us, and it's yeah, really good. I, and it and is. what frustrates me, sorry, I'm going to keep going here. What frustrates me is the the Dynamite song is so good. The Rampage song is maybe the worst of all time. The whole yeah. thing is, this is Rampage, baby. Yeah. This is, it's like the least inventive song ever. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, that's it. And it always sounded, I always thought it was CM Punk being the one who said this is Rampage, but I, I don't know. Oh, I, I would assume I not because they still use it. It's not so. good, but I, yeah. I do like the Dynamite theme, yeah. And then lastly, Chris, before we get into the show, Raw this week, so much better from top to bottom compared to last week, beyond the crowd. Louisville, yes, much better. The show was better. The first hour I did think was a little slow. It was a little rough, but it actually set up everything that happened over the next two hours. There were a ton of segments and storylines mixed together. The three biggest storylines on the show, the United States Championship involving Seth Rollins, the OC versus Judgment Day, and the War Games match with Damage Control, they all touched one another. They all mixed together. People interacted with each other. Obviously, there was a direct relationship with people joining the War Games match. I thought this may have been the single best example of what you always talk about, threading storylines together and world building backstage and making everything feel like it's organic and it kind of comes together and there's a real, you know, for lack of a better term, there's a real WWE universe back there that we get glimpses of over the course of the show. I thought they did it better on Raw than they have perhaps since Triple H got the book. Yes, I mean, they've done backstage a lot more with Triple mm-hmm. H and it's been much better. But in terms of it all tying together, coming into something like a War Games match. Yes, th- this is what War Games, this is what Survivor Series is supposed to be. When you've got people teaming up who don't normally team up, you've got to kind of get yourself there. So that was that was better. I, I thought, you know, the last couple of weeks we've really complained about. Um, especially Raw, but but some of the stuff going on, it seemed to kind of hit a low point in the early mm-hmm. Triple H era. This felt like a bounce back in in terms of just generally better shows. Stuff flowed a lot better. We're past Crown Jewel now, so I'm hoping we're kind of getting back on the upswing and upswing of things. Yeah, look, a, a really good crowd will make a bad show decent and a good show great and a great show memorable, right? Mm-hmm. And that's I think what Louisville helped do. This was a good show. The crowd made it feel really great. Like it made it feel like everything that happened, not everything, there were a couple down parts, but every major development that happened felt major, felt important. So shout out to the crowd and shout out to just the creative team, Triple H and everyone else for putting together a way better show than they did last week. So speaking of way better shows, you're here, usually the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, 
is a little bit better with vintage Chris Vanini alongside the Silver King Adam Silverstein. Let's not waste any more time. Let's do what we always do here on the WWE show and kick things off by sliding into the main event. That was a very forced transition by me. Nevertheless, we're here. We're, we're, we're exactly where we need to be. Undisputed Tag Team Championship opened up SmackDown. The Usos defending against the New Day. And if you can't tell, our main event this week, as it frequently is, it's the bloodline. Uh, so Roman Reigns, Solo and Paul Heyman, they all stayed backstage. Sami Zayn was not there due to what Michael Cole called a personal issue. They did the spotlight ring announcements for this uh, title match, just like they used to do in NXT, and they always did in WWE for Night of Champions. So I thought that was great. I believe they replicated that on Raw. So it does seem like Triple H is now treating every title match, at least when it comes to like the main titles, um, like something legitimately important. And I appreciate when they go that little extra step from a uh, production standpoint. Uh, Cole announced at the bell that Jey Uso's x-rays were negative. So that's that apparently. Uh, New Day started hot with Kofi Kingston hitting a trust fall. Then the Usos dominated ringside, singled out Kofi with Jay hitting a pop-up neckbreaker. Fans annoyed Jay, chanting, we want Sammy and Sammy Uso. Xavier Woods had a strong hot tag with a gut buster for a 2.9. New Day then ran offense on Jay before a flying leg drop led to another 2.9. Kofi missed trouble in paradise on Jay, but Jimmy uh, got hit with an SOS for a near fall. Woods blind tagged, but the Usos countered his step through tornado DDT with a super kick. Then they hit two sets of stereo super kicks and the double Uso splash for another false finish. Kofi interrupted 1D by pulling Jay out of the ring and throwing him into the steps. Then Woods took him out with midnight hour ringside. He hit the step through tornado DDT on Jimmy and another midnight hour inside. And it was a fantastic false finish that only came because of Jay Uso's classic uh, break, you know, pinfall break. All four stood off and brawled. The Usos tried a double superplex, but when Kingston knocked them down and jumped, they caught him flying with 1D for the win and title retention in 23 minutes. Now, this was a typically strong rivalry match between these teams. I did find it to be a step down from their classics. Maybe that's mostly because they haven't been working together as much recently. But part of that also had to do with there being two commercial breaks during the match. Part of it was that it never really felt like the Usos were in danger, even when we got to that false finish, given how close they were to the ropes. It didn't really come across as important and historic. It should have. And you can make an argument. This probably should have been the main event of the show. I understand why it wasn't given the segment that ultimately did main event. But also, you know, it's got to be candid. The finish pissed me off because it is my least favorite trope in all of wrestling. Starting the final sequence of a match with a standoff in the ring and then the finish coming 60 seconds later. It basically telegraphs, hey, the match is about to end for really no reason. I hate it. And no company or wrestler is immune to it. They all do it. New Japan, AEW, WWE, NXT, Impact, doesn't matter. They all do it. It's always rushed. If you want to do that standoff, fine. Then you do it closer to what NJPW does, where they then wrestle for another five or 10 minutes after that. And then you get the finish. They'd say, this is the beginning sequence starting now, but there's a lot more to come. To do that, where everyone's just standing up straight, they don't really look that injured, and they just start brawling with each other. And then to end the match 60 seconds later, it's always going to piss me off. Now, look, besides that, the work was great here. Both teams showed out. I didn't really mind them breaking the stipulation of New Day not challenging for the titles again, given history was at stake. And it was specific history that involved New Day. So for me, that was a fine exception. So look, I'm not 
hating on this. I'm giving it four stars and an A minus. It was really good wrestling. But I just found the match to be slightly disappointing because my expectations are always so high when the Usos and the New Day get together. Yeah, I, I thought it was great, great, exciting match and everything. My biggest issue you mentioned was that it wasn't the main event of the show. And that just from the beginning took away the biggest piece of drama, which is could the Usos lose? Now, you, you figured the Usos were going to win. But by opening the show, whenever they open the show with the title match, it's typically not going to be a title change, and especially in this situation. So I was like, ah, like I, I'm, I'm not going to quite buy those false finishes as much anymore because I, I right. know this ahead of time. That that was my that's my biggest gripe, and that has nothing to do with the quality of the match. That's just you knew it was coming when that happened. And look, based on the structure of the show and how the show ended, you kind of had to do it like that, I guess. Mm-hmm. But it did take away from it, like just from the start. But I thought the match was great. You know, it, it wasn't exactly the same kind of classics they've had. Typically, the, all the great Uso, uh, Uso New Day matches are Kofi and Big E are the New Day. That that's typically just what it's been in the past. Xavier Woods is a great wrestler. It, it, it's all good and everything. But you're right. Big though. E just he, had, big he, e just, he adds that extra element. He does. He, yes, yeah. exactly. He, he he's just he's a different element as a you know as a big strong guy with you know big meaty meat. Um, and, big meaty meat. So, is that a yeah. new? Uh... I guess, I guess it's I guess it's working. Big meaty, big meaty man. Do you mean big meaty men uh, slapping meat? Yes. Ah, yep. Shit. Yep. Hold on. Fuck. Hold on. Big meaty men slapping meat. <laughs> Shout out to Biggie. Hope you're doing better. Sorry. Yep. Absolutely. Hope Biggie's doing better. So yeah, great match. Expected result in the end. I'm glad they did it. Glad. I, I like that they built it up. I like that for the last kind of month or so they kind of. Noted that this that this uh, was coming, you know the, the 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 record and all that stuff. So I'm I'm really glad they planned it out, set it up. I just felt like this deserved a main event and in like more celebration because of that, instead of being used basically just to set up war games later in the show. True. So let's keep going. There's plenty more that happened on SmackDown. Uh, the Usos celebrated in the Bloodline locker room. Roman Reigns played coy with his praise before saying, "This is what it means." to be the greatest of all time. Reigns then said he had business to handle and it was big, but he needed them by his side in the ring. Reigns then gave Jay like an extra long embrace with Jay saying, I love you, man, in his ear. So in the ring for the main event, Heyman said neither New Day nor any team could compare to the Usos. Reigns said it was not easy being his cousin. He understood that. And it's not easy to stand in his shadow either. He was then about to address the Usos together. Like he was going to turn around and talk to them. When the brawling brutes interrupted, Chris, did you get the sense that he was about to acknowledge them here? Because that's what I thought was going to happen. I was very curious what was going to happen. I think he was basically going to do that. I guess acknowledge them or congratulate them. Really, like, like I thought he was them, literally going to say, "I acknowledge you," just like giving them that acknowledgement that they have not gotten since this entire tribal chief storyline. Really, yeah, and it just got interrupted, which. You know, it was kind of the beginning of what felt like a clunky segment. We'll get to it. But what I would have liked to have happened here is for him to start saying what he was going to say before getting cut off. Instead, they just cut him off before he even spoke. It would be I uh, and then, you know, then it gets cut off and everything else happens. A little bit of a tease, whatever. So Ridge Holland comes out with uh, Butch. He says the Brutes were sick of losing the numbers game and we brought backup. So Seamus entered. He made his return, but his mic was broken and it kept dropping Mm. out while he was 
trying to cut this pretty important promo to set up the War Games match. He said it was the beginning of the end for the Bloodline. Reigns ribbed him uh, for the mic. It was definitely improv from Roman. Uh, then they just basically brawled. The Bloodline got up four on three until Drew McIntyre came out looking like an absolute beast to even the sides. And the show ended with a four on four battle ongoing in the ring. Now, I don't think they like announced that it was War Games. Correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, you can check the website maybe while I'm talking here. But we knew the War Games setup was coming and it's very clear that this is going to be the War Games match. So it's nice to see McIntyre joining the Brutes. That will, that's what we wanted. It makes so much sense. Technical difficulties do happen, but it took a lot of intensity out of the segment. Like you could tell it suddenly became jokey because Sheamus's mic wasn't working and that's not ideal. Now the crowd did pop huge for Sheamus, but I felt this to be a microcosm of the entire show in that there was nothing wrong with it, but it could have been executed better. And given this is the main event of Survivor Series, I found that to be disappointing. Yes, you always with with any show, movie, you know, act of art, you want to be kind of in that world. And when anything happens that pulls you out of it, it sucks. And mm-hmm. that's what happened with the mic not working. You're like, oh, crap, I'm I, I, I just I've lost the intensity was lost in that moment. It and reminds you you're watching TV and that you're yeah, not involved in the just thing. just an un, just a real unfortunate break um at that moment and i kind of like that basically shame just was like ah fuck it we just got to go in there and start fighting <laughs> and, and that <laughs> which kind of works for the brutes and look the crowd got into it and then mcintyre you know so so it, it worked you just you're missing now you're missing probably something that was going to be used in the promo video like they when they pull those when they pull those promos to kind of set up the match dude they may have to kind of re redo something or, or something like that so um, no, it, 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 makes sense. It was good. It just unfortunate right there. Yeah, it was. And like I said, it just, it like, it takes you out of it. It reminds you that you're watching TV and that it's scripted, you know, like, and you just kind of, it's just one of those really frustrating moments because in any other situation, they would stop the presses. They bring another mic out. Like if you were at a UFC press conference, right. Or, or whatever, mm-hmm. they bring out a mic, you'd make sure it's working and then you'd continue with what you were doing. So it just kind of like, it was frustrating. Again, I don't think there was like an official War Games announcement. The show is, you know, less than two weeks away. We know that this is the match, but you want Sheamus to say, you know, we're done with this shit. We're taking you on War Games. We don't care who has our back. And then maybe, go maybe he was going to. Maybe he was. Going I think to he was. That That's my yeah. point, though. So it, it, yeah. it missed that aspect of the entire thing. They basically said, eh, screw the promo. Let's just fight. And it just yeah. it was, again, just a, a microcosm of the show in that there were numerous things that happened that just weren't executed as well as they could have been. And this was it. But again, I'm not trying to hate on it. I'm still very excited for this. So, you know, the next topic here is who's going to be revealed as the fifth people, right? Sammy hasn't been on TV, personal issues. The expectation, at least for me, is that Sammy is back this Friday on SmackDown. There's no news about that. But I think it's fair to say this would be a huge disappointment of a match if Sammy's not the fifth guy, or if someone else is the fifth guy, meaning if they either go four on four or they do uh, five on five with it not being Sammy because for some reason he can't be there. Now, if personal stuff happens, you can't, you know, change that. You can't, there's nothing you can do about it. Injuries are injuries. Uh, family stuff is family stuff, right? But this whole setup for war games, the excitement over the bloodline in war games is the four Samoans and Sami Zayn and seeing what that actually looks like in the war games setup. So let's assume that they're going to go five on five and Sammy's going to be there. Now the move, Chris, in my opinion, 
really should have been Kevin Owens being the fifth person for the faces. He hasn't been on TV. Returning on that go-home SmackDown and siding with the faces would be a huge moment. You have KO and Sammy standing off from each other. That's all really exciting. The problem is on Sunday night at a Sunday Stunner live WWE show, KO injured his knee and he reportedly suffered an MCL sprain that could possibly be worse than that, but as of right now is an MCL sprain, which is going to keep him out basically six weeks. So now WWE has to basically find a fifth person. I don't really think there's an obvious candidate. Uh, These are the names I came up with. You tell me what you think. Madcap Moss has been involved with them somewhat. (laughs) And while he was getting big cheers previously, those have died down. So he would be a big disappointment. Ricochet would be a lot of fun, especially in a war game setup. But he does have another storyline ongoing right now that we're going to talk about later with the Intercontinental Championship and Gunther. They could bring Tyler Bate over from NXT UK. The main roster audience has no idea who he is. So he would fit, but it would be lackluster. And the other name, the only other name that I can come up with that I think would actually be the perfect fit is Shinsuke Nakamura because he never got the match that it seemed like he was supposed to get with Reigns. So if it can't be KO, I like Sammy for Bloodline, obviously, Shinsuke Nakamura for the Brawling Brutes plus Drew McIntyre. What do you think? My other thought was Rey Mysterio, but he's also injured now. He's also injured, yeah. He got injured as well. So, But you're right, yeah, Rey, um, Rey would make sense there as well. Not as yeah, much as my, Nakamura, but he would. Yeah. No, but he, well, he's just, he's the natural. He's the baby face, the ultimate baby face. You throw him in on the baby face team. You know, it, right. it, it would make perfect sense. I, I, this it it, it 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 we we think it would make perfect sense if this is Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. Sami Zayn tweeted a couple days ago in Arabic a common prayer that's used in Islam after the death of somebody. But there's been no confirmations mm-hmm. on what it is, nor any true confirmations on Kevin Owens injury. But if you're replacing Kevin Owens for injury purposes, I think Sammy, I'm sorry. I think Shinsuke Nakamura probably makes the most sense there. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that he's the best fit for a war games match. I don't know that that's necessarily his style, but from a storyline standpoint, it makes all the sense in the world. You have him come out. The entrance theme without anything else is going to pop people. He comes right around. Uh, siding with Drew McIntyre and Sheamus. And you got a pretty badass group right there. Yeah. That's the way I look at it. Yeah, I uh, agree. One, one more thing before we move on. Uh, Sammy is so hot right now. I mean, he's getting chanted on shows he's not even on. It started at Crown Jewel. It continued on to Raw two weeks in a row. Um, we don't know for sure that WWE's plan is to have Cody Rhodes dethrone Roman Reigns. We don't know that. But I think it's a fair assumption that we've all made at this point. But Chris, Sammy is so hot right now. If you're WWE, do you consider making the switch and having Zayn take the title off Reigns, or do you stick with what we assume the plan is and go with Cody Rhodes? No, I do not have Sami Zayn take the title off of Roman. I do, however, think you give him a title shot on a SmackDown or something like that, kind of maybe early in WrestleMania season. Um, I, I, I think that's something you can do, but no, I don't take the title off of him. I still think that I still think the story of him and Kevin Owens dethroning the Usos is 
the most natural story. The guys he was trying to be friends with. Instead, it's his real friend who, who, who has his back when something bad happens and together they take down the Usos. It's such a natural, mm-hmm. perfect story to tell. I don't think you go away from that. Sammy's great. You, you, you almost look at him like a Mick Foley type of situation where you can get him in the mix. You can give him a title match. I know, I know Mick Foley won a couple titles, but they don't hotch out the title nowadays like they used to. So no, I wouldn't put the title on him. People have pointed out that every 10 years in WWE, there is that underdog baby face that comes up and wins the title. So Rey Mysterio, Daniel Bryan, you know, and they do it at WrestleMania. Sammy to me just doesn't fit that mold. I agree with you. I think he's way more of a Mick Foley than he is uh, Daniel Bryan, just by comparison, right? So I think if you were ever going to have Sami Zayn win the world championship, I don't know that doing it at WrestleMania is the right thing. Also, a lot of people who have come up with this idea of Sammy winning instead of Cody I think they forget how over Cody Rhodes was before he got hurt. Yes. And even even when he was hurt in the, the torn pectoral uh, Hell in a Cell match against Seth Rollins, this guy was nuclear hot, like in the best possible way. Now, is he going to maintain that when he comes back? It's tough to say, right? He was riding a lot of momentum coming from AEW into WWE, debuting at WrestleMania, having a really big feud off the top with Seth Rollins. And it's kind of tough to say if, if and when he comes back at the Royal Rumble, if that reaction is going to be as big, but you are right. It is. It is. Any injury return guy from, from the peck that the last time we saw him with his blown up peck, he's going to get a huge response. Yeah. I mean, especially if like he does come back at the rumble wins the next night on raw, he cuts that, you know, the Cody promo that you're expecting. Yeah, you're right. He can get over pretty big, pretty fast, but you're right. Uh, Cody in that spot, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn against the Usos. It makes way too much sense not to do it. So Chris, with that, let's move into our second segment here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast WWE Edition. You know it, you love it, it's changed a little bit, but it is still the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'm sorry, Miss Rosie Perez, I call a spade a spade, it just is what it is. But you can't give credit to anything dude says, say dude to give you ice and you own some... Johnny. It's time to wake up the dead, you sound a little naive in the articles that I read. Hey, Chris, when's the last time that you've actually had a song stuck in your head? Um, I don't know. Uh, my, my wife was singing the one of the songs from Frozen the other day that got stuck in my head for a little bit because I've been um, just listening to a lot of music recently. I, I'm more of a Howard Stern listener over the course of a day, but I've been listening to a lot of Jay-Z recently and Takeover has been stuck in my head for four days. I'm trying everything I can like to not listen to it and get it out. I'll be walking the dog and I'll be dissing Nas and like, it's, you know, it's not good. So um, I got to figure out a way to get that out of my head and just hearing Jay-Z again here uh, for our good, the bad and the ugly sound drop reminded me of that. All right, let's get into everything that happened across SmackDown and Raw this week. We are going to start with Raw. Seth Rollins opened that show talking about last week's crazy developments Fans booed mentions of Finn Balor and surprisingly Mustafa Ali, but lightly cheered a mention of Bobby Lashley. Rollins laughed at Austin Theory failing to cash in the Money in the Bank briefcase on the United States Championship, being the first person to ever attempt it. Fans chanted, that was stupid. And Rollins, in a genius stroke, turned it around because they were chanting that about the booking. And Rollins said, yeah, that was stupid for Theory to try to do that on me. 
Rollins said the US title felt different because he was champion. Lashley entered promising to continue his beatings until the title's back around his waist. Rollins pointed out he could have just fought him, but instead went crazy and beat his ass. Ali then came out. He made a beeline for the ring. Lashley told him to be smart or get hurt. Ali charged anyway, ate an elbow and was thrown over the rope. He attacked again and was dumped outside. Lashley then invited him for an ass whipping in like a regular match. And that led directly into Lashley versus Ali. Lashley got run into the post, but he helicoptered Ali into it and then threw him over the announce table for a 9.9 count. Uh, he basically saved himself. Ali then ate the Dominator and two almighty Spinebusters, but he refused to let the match stop. Fans chanted one more time for Lashley rather than get behind Ali. Ali dodged Lashley into the post and hit a tornado DDT, but Lashley came back with a spear and a hurt lock to get the win in four minutes and 30 seconds. So the idea here was to paint Ali as a never give up sympathetic baby face. Yet the fans just refused to play along. And we heard a similar reaction to him last week when he showed up on the Titantron and got booed when it seemed like he was going to be the one to challenge Seth Rollins for the United States Championship. This match had no juice for that reason. And because WWE is turning Lashley heel when no one actually wants him to be heel, you're not going to get Ali over as a babyface going against that. The nope. opening with Rollins speaking, it was just okay. It didn't really accomplish anything. If Lashley wants to beat Rollins' ass so bad, they were alone in the ring. Why not just kick his ass? Rollins was basically like, that shit was cray. And okay, can you believe that that actually happened? By the way, I'm awesome. Like that was his entire promo. Another situation where I find this to be in the gray zone between good and bad. I actually, despite I like all three of these guys, I'm actually leaning bad here. Yeah, I'm leaning bad too. It, 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 my read is that they tried a double turn. They did. With Rollins, with Rollins becoming face and Lashley becoming heel. The problem is there's nothing behind it. Rollins is only a face because people like singing his song. He hasn't changed. He's not being a nice guy. I'm not rooting for him. And that'll get us into the main event of, of Raw later, too. And Lashley hasn't really done anything to be a heel. He actually attacked Austin Theory, who's a heel, and we liked it. So I think they, I think they wanted Lashley beats up Ali to become more of a heel, but we're not behind Ali because we've only seen him on TV for a couple of weeks. And he's been brushed aside and nobody takes him seriously. So there just hasn't been enough juice behind any of these guys to really get into Lashley as a heel or Rollins as a face. We need Rollins to save somebody. We need Rollins to save Correct. Ali from the beatdown. Correct. You know, that like that's what yes. you need to actually be the face. It's not just his song. He's still acting like the weird pompous dude that it, it, who he normally is. Nothing's changed yet. So we're not there yet in terms of being behind one guy as a face, one guy as a heel. No, you absolutely nailed it. If you want to do a double turn, the good guy needs to be a good guy and the bad guy yes. needs to be a bad guy. The problem is, like you just said, Lashley attacked a bad guy in theory. He's cost theory the title. He didn't cost a mega baby face the title. Now, if they had done it, you know, not that Johnny Gargano is like massively over yet, but if they had done it with Johnny Gargano, who is a clear baby face, then it would have worked in terms of like the attack initially costing him the title match. But Ali hasn't been built up into anything. Yes, he had that match against, I think, Bobby Lashley for the United States Championship. And when, when Lashley was still a face and Lashley put him over, he got a lot of guts, kid. Like, that was cool. And yes, Rollins has been avoiding him. But Rollins was a tweener heel. And 
Ali didn't really do anything to say, I really deserve this. He didn't like go out and put on an absolute banger, for example, with Chad Gable for 15 minutes where he was cheered. And all of a sudden he's at this big baby face. Like think about Madcap Moss. Madcap Moss a couple months ago was a bigger baby face than Mustafa Ali has ever been. And why? Because he looked really good in the ring and he was impressive and he turned on Baron Corbin, right? There was a and reason he, and he, for he, and he was And he was up against a clear heel in Baron uh, Corbin. Correct. But uh, with Ali, they again, they had him up against a baby face in Lashley, you know, a couple months ago. Then Rollins, who's a tweener. So there's there's been nothing to actually develop Ali as this guy who should be cheered by the crowd. They just kind of expected, hey, because he's an internet darling, um, people are going to cheer Ali because they want him featured more. No, you got to give us a reason to like the guy that we're seeing on television. Same thing. You can trot out Cedric Alexander or Shelton Benjamin or whoever, all people we like. But if there's not a reason why they're in front of us, then we're not going to cheer them. Someone like R-Truth, just as an example, if you had Lashley cost R-Truth the championship, people would have said, I hate Lashley because I yes. love R-Truth and he almost beat yes. Seth Rollins. That would have been great. They they just didn't, everything that they did last week was half-assed. And therefore, you have Lashley in tweener territory. You have Rollins in tweener territory. And Ali, he's not a heel, but no one buys him as a babyface. So it just, all three of those guys last week are in like this murky area and it's completely the booking fault of WWE. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. It, it, you can't, you can't, nobody is clearly defined yet. And so you can't play off of each other as well as you want to. And playing into what you said a minute ago, Steve Nevins 316 at Rip Van Winkle, two W's E-I-N-K-L-E. He said, I can't remember a turn happening because of entrance music as with Rollins, I'm not complaining, (laughs) but where was the development of this? Did I miss something? I think with Rollins, it's more just the people he's going against. So it's him against Balor, him against Lashley, who's supposed to be a heel because Lashley turned on Lesnar and attacked him after the belt. And Lashley cost Ali the title match, so he's supposed to be a heel there too. So it's more about who Rollins is going against. Rollins has been a tweener though for a while. I think people forget that even though he was feuding with faces, he's been getting cheered for a while because people like what he's doing. They like the laugh. They like the music. I don't think he he's a baby face because of the entrance music. If that was the case, then Bobby Roode a long time ago would have been a baby face because people cheered his entrance music in NXT and initially well, he, on the main yeah, roster. Yeah, that kind of worked. Yeah. But he was a heel was in NXT. About that. He was a heel in NXT he, though. And they cheered him he, because, he, could, you know. Yeah. So what I'm yes. saying is I don't know that Rollins is being Rollins is not a babyface because of his music, but the music showed that people want to cheer for Rollins. And it's been a very long time since that's been the case. Yes. Yep. No, I totally get wanting to turn him face. You just you got to you got to put more into it. Yeah, you, you got to actually make him a good guy. And we had another DM. He wants to be anonymous. So we're just going to call him J.E. That's what we're going to call him. As terrible as the Ali stuff seems, is there any chance we're being swerved here? There's been a lot of chatter about a reformation of the Hurt Business. Not sure if you noticed, but Lashley, Shelton, and Ali were all wearing red and gold trunks last night. I did notice that. What if we are foreshadowing Ali joining the Hurt Business? If they're keeping MVP with Omas, this group will need a mouthpiece, and we all know Ali can talk. He's not getting over as a baby face, but he could definitely get over as a jaw jacking heel, of course. Blaming the fans per usual WWE heel turn script. Uh, if it worked for Dom to turn heel and surround himself with top tier talent, it could certainly work for Ali. In addition, he and Cedric or Shelton, for that matter, could have a great tag team run and maybe even be the ones to dethrone the Usos if the act gets over 
and Lashley gets pushed to the top of the card again, a stretch, but I'm just booking the damn territory. So, hey, you're going to book the damn territory. We're going to put it on the show. You know, Ali and Hurt Business, it's not the worst idea. The reason why MVP worked out so well is that he didn't wrestle, that you didn't have to really worry about that person also being an active wrestler, having their own goals, and Lashley would be featured. If you have Lashley in that group, he's your main eventer. And right now, the main event title on Raw is the United States Championship, which is the exact same thing that Mustafa Ali wants. So unless it was like Ali helping them reform the Hurt Business only to like once Lashley won the title, turn on them and attempt to beat him for it, unless it was something like that, I don't really know that it works. But I get the concept. I mean, I would much rather just, look, Ali's not really getting over, put him in a tag team with Cedric Alexander, let them just tear the freaking house down against Alpha Academy and some of these other teams and let them just go on a run. And you, you don't need them to beat the Usos, but get them cheered. And then once they're cheered and once they're over, then you can eventually have them win the titles once the Usos drop them, or you can split, split them up and have Alexander be heel and Ali be the baby face. There's myriad things you can do, but whatever they're doing right now with Ali, this is really the, the basis of the entire thing. Whatever they're doing, it's just not working. I think Ali is super talented. I'm a fan of his, uh, you know, here. Uh, I've, I've stuck up for him numerous times, both here and on social media in terms of like wanting him to get featured and get opportunities. But this ain't it. It's just not working and they need to change it. Agree. I, I don't know about putting him in the hurt business. Him, him and Cedric as a tag team makes sense. I get it. Maybe he, here's some book in the territory. He creates the hurt. He, he, he brings back the hurt business, but he also infiltrates them and secretly brings back retribution. And then we've got facts. <laughs> and then we're just in hell at that point. Yeah. Right. All right. Yeah. Lots more here still from, you know, extended parts of this segment. So Theory in a backstage interview had a full beard. He also had stud earrings in. He said, no one understands the pressure he's under to live up to all the expectations that have been put in front of him because they can't relate to someone with his potential. Theory said last Monday was not him failing, because he feels more alive than ever. He said the Money in the Bank briefcase was an anchor on him because Roman Reigns was unstoppable. And even when he thought Reigns was weakened, the bloodline or Brock Lesnar or Tyson Fury was there to stop him. So he saw the opportunity to take out Rollins only for Lashley to screw it up. Dolph Ziggler interrupted saying, worst cash-in ever. Really good Simpsons reference there, reminding Theory that he tried to help him out months ago given he had the best Money in the Bank cash-in of all time. Arguable, top two, no doubt. Uh, Ziggler said Theory's ego was too big. Theory said he's sick of people talking down to him, and he's sick of being next or being the future. He's the now, and he has no more excuses that he will be giving out. Chris, I thought this was the definition, if you had it like in a dictionary, of making chicken salad out of chicken shit. I spent a lot of time on this last week, So I'm going to let you do most of the talking. But this touched on what I said. The concept of what Theory did wasn't terrible last week. But the execution of it, the combination of him cashing in on the United States Championship, doing it during an open challenge, and losing. And on top of all of that, him not having been on TV for so long that memories of all the failed cash-ins weren't really fresh in people's minds. When you combined all of that it made for a bad creative decision last week. If Theory had tried and failed to cash in on Reigns during the Roman-Logan-Paul match just a couple days earlier, it would have made a lot more sense to do this booking last week. But Theory, despite that, 
He was excellent in this promo. The explanation completely played with logic if you get over the idea of him being afraid of Reigns. Playing Ziggler off Theory was also smart, and Theory did seem more serious and confident than ever before. I thought this was very good. Yes, very good. I love this from Theory. This was this was the guy who you can see they have a lot of faith in and dreams for in his future. This was a great promo. He looked great. I love that he's grown out the beard, that it's not just a goatee anymore. I think that's all great. Definitely a step in the right direction. I wasn't here last week. I don't have much more to add other than to say you 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 can you you can schmoz it all you want. The bottom line is that Austin Theory tried to cash in on a mid-level title and failed. And there's no way to spin that other than to look like a complete idiot. So this was a step forward to make him look like a real threat. And look, maybe he's right. He, I think, I don't know if it was him. I think it was him who said it was holding him back, that it was... It was an anchor, that it, he said. Yeah, it was an anchor holding him down. And like, I kind of maybe agree with that. And Me that, too. That, that, that takes you into the larger talk of Money in the Bank and whether or not Triple H is going to hold it for WrestleMania and take it away as a pay-per-view. I don't, we don't, we don't know for sure yet. But there is an argument to make that that is the case. Um, so I, I, I like this. I like what we got from theory here. Um, still an unfortunate situation last week, but it was an important way to bounce back. Everything he said was sensible. It made complete sense within the context of his character and the storyline. There's no doubt about that. And Chris, that's what I was saying last week in that you could make it make sense. And they did make it make sense. But all of those other extenuating circumstances that I mentioned that you just talked about as well, that's the reason why many people were so angry about it. Now, on last week's show, I, I you know, I certainly wasn't like others. He's buried. He's dead. No one's ever going to root for him again. They did this to their major star. I never said any of those things. But I did clarify that it was really a down moment for him, not just in terms of a character, but in terms of like, you know, they when you put the Money in the Bank briefcase on someone, it's supposed to mean something. And... They took it off of him in a way where you can't help but think, well, you know, they, they didn't, you know, one person, Vince McMahon, believed in him enough to give it to him. And another person, Triple H, was basically like, what can I do to get out of this? The problem was there were myriad better ways to get out of it than what yes. they did. And they could have just tailed back so many different aspects of it, such as not doing the open challenge and just yep. doing something similar, right? Having Theory attempt to cash in during the Roman Reigns, Logan Paul match, which we talked about, by the way, on that ultimate preview is something that possibly could have happened. And I wasn't angry that he didn't because it wasn't my fantasy booking. I was angry that he did it because of the storyline that they did a couple days later. It would have been the perfect setup to it. And you would have said, oh, of course, he hasn't been able to cash in. He just tried for the fourth time and failed this time because of Logan Paul's stupid friends or because of Jake Paul knocking him out. Like there's so many different things that they could have done to have it make sense and utilize even Jake Paul in addition to Logan Paul. And yet they just chose not to. So that's where all that frustration came from. And I want to be very clear because this was the first of numerous things on this show that I'm about to praise involving Austin Theory. What happened this Monday being good to great doesn't make up for, doesn't change last week being awful. I want to know that no. you whether you agree with that before we move on. Correct. It was still 
a complete mess last week. They, they, they dropped him so far. This is a step forward, but he's still incredibly farther behind from where he was yesterday. Last week was nonsense. We'll always, I, I'll never really probably look at it as any other way than a complete bungled mess. Right. It was a bungled mess. I don't necessarily know that he's behind or anything like that. I wouldn't put it in those terms, especially given the next couple of things we're going to talk about. But I will say that it just, it was unnecessary to do what they did to uh, last week to give him the creative that he had this week. He still could have lost the briefcase. He still could have been upset and done all this, but he could have done it without it looking stupid and being stupid from a creative and storytelling yes. standpoint. That's really what we're getting at. All right, let's keep going. We've got two more things, as I said, involving Theory. Uh, so we had Theory against Ziggler. Theory hit a rack bomb that Kevin Patrick called A-Town down for some reason. Ziggler countered the finish into a sleeper hold. Uh, Theory powered out late, but ate a Famouser for a 2.9 false finish. Then he angrily threw Ziggler into the post twice. Ziggler reversed a third attempt and hit a zigzag for another false finish. Theory then countered the super kick with a rolling forearm. He hit A-Town down, but he chose not to cover. Instead, he hit it a second time, pounded on Ziggler, threw him outside into the steps, flipped a step into Ziggler, drilled him into the announce table four times, threw him over the barricade, literally threw a steel chair at him, and then tossed a desk chair over the barricade onto him. Then he pounced on him again until they were finally separated twice long after a disqualification was called in the match. And he kept repeating, walking up the ramp, I ain't no damn kid, because Ziggler called him a kid earlier, on the way backstage after about 15 minutes of a match. This was even better than the promo. Now, personally, yep. if I had the book, he would have won the match and then done the post-match beating. But the result is irrelevant because they were telling a much bigger story. The crowd was completely sold on both Ziggler finishes. They thought he was winning the match. And this went a long way to legitimizing theory, giving him depth coming out of last week. I mentioned that he was not buried last week and the whole thing could be turned around with a good storyline. That's what we're getting so far. Not just a good storyline, a great and serious storyline. This was definitely good. I love the match. 3.5 stars and a B because there was no real finish. And a round of applause also for Dolph Ziggler here. He was incredible backstage in the match and in the post-match of selling and just working against theory. This was awesome. Yep, that's exactly, I, I, just like the promo, it's exactly what you want to see from theory. He looks great. He looks angry. He's got an edge. He's not just the kind of sarcastic guy, you know, talking about how great he is. Like this is the next step for the character. He faced adversity. He fell flat on his face. How is he going to respond? He's going to respond by getting serious. And that's great to see. It, it, it's kind of like, it's almost like showing, you know, like MJF a couple weeks ago in AEW said, I'm going to win the AEW title and I'm going to do it by working hard for the first time in my life, basically. that That's kind of what we're, that's kind of the idea of what we're getting from theory here. He wasn't just given the briefcase. He, he was put in the match late, basically given the briefcase. Now he realizes he has to do this shit on his own and he's going to buckle down and do it. And I think that's a really good story to tell. Um, and, and and that's that's the message that was sent from this beatdown of Dolph Ziggler. It, it was um it was great. Now we also had a scheduled United States Championship match: Seth Rollins against Finn Balor. Balor countered the stomp with a sling blade, but Rollins countered the shotgun dropkick with a super kick. Then Balor countered the frog splash with an inside cradle for a near fall in a really great sequence. 
Valor escaped a bomb into the barricade, hitting a shotgun drop kick into it instead. Rollins avoided coup de gras. Balor avoided the stomp. Balor countered the pedigree, but Rollins lifted him for a Liger bomb. Balor avoided a Phoenix splash and came back with another shotgun drop kick. Rollins hit the superplex, but Balor countered the Falcon Arrow into 1916 for a near fall. There were even more counters into a Falcon Arrow. Judgment Day ran down as Rollins set up for the stomp. The OC followed for some crazy action outside. Balor hit a third shotgun drop kick, but Dominic somehow like wound up in the ring. He gave AJ Styles an opening to push Balor off the ropes with Rollins hitting the stomp as everyone else brawled at ringside and into the crowd as Rollins retained the United States Championship in 20 minutes. Fans popped for Rollins, but very soon after the bell, Theory attacked him with A-Town down and a similar beatdown to the one he gave Ziggler at ringside before hitting a second A-Town down back inside. Then he grabbed the US title and laid Rollins out with it to end the show on top, holding it in the air. Okay, first, what a freaking match, okay? You knew there was no way we were gonna get a clean finish given everything going on, but we got about 18 minutes of top-tier wrestling before the faction wars interrupted the whole thing. So I went four stars A- minus for the match, but this was on its way to 4.5 or maybe even better if it had like the entire time. But if I said Theory's attack on Ziggler was better than his promo, this attack on Rollins was even better than that. It was very much like a modern day Viper Randy Orton style attack. Mm. And it feels like Theory is being kind of modeled in that image. I've already praised the booking so much, so I'm not gonna just keep repeating myself on why it worked so well. But the booking was not just good, it was great. And the match was not just good, it was great. Agree. Um, not much to really more to say other than just it was a great match and, and, and kind of it played out maybe the way we expected. This was more of making Rollins a face because he was he was up mm-hmm. against the numbers, essentially, when 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 Judgment Day got involved. That that's 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 making Rollins more of a face a bit than you got earlier in the show uh, and, and, and last week. So good stuff there. Theory. Yeah, it's just kind of a continuation of what I said over the previous two things, which is. They really, really tried to tell you that this guy is not buried, that we do have plans for him, that we do like him, that you should take him seriously, you know, despite last week. So I think that was mission accomplished. So now that we're coming out of this, right, Rollins has the following people going after his title, Uh, Austin Theory, Bobby Lashley and Mustafa Ali. And we have a premium live event, Survivor Series War Games forthcoming, which is obviously a big show. Rollins isn't on it right now. Uh, Neither, of course, is Lashley. What do you think they do for Survivor Series? Do you think it's potentially a fatal four-way, maybe even a fatal four-way elimination match to kind of play into the Survivor Series idea, given there's going to be one on the show? Or do you perhaps think it's Rollins Theory or just Rollins Lashley? Um... I don't know. It's it's hard to say, which is weird because we're only two weeks out from the show. But I, I I could see the the four way elimination match. I think that would fit in the general ethos of Survivor Series. I I think it, I think it's at least Rollins Lashley at minimum because those two guys are so featured and have been kind of the headlines of Raw. Uh, but I could see Theory maybe getting in there now. Or something like that. So I, I don't know. I, I obviously I don't know, but I I do think it's at least Rollins, Lashley. 
All right, yeah, I think that's fair. Either way, the theory stuff on Raw. I like it. I like it a lot. Liked it a lot. And if I'm booking the damn territory, or if Triple H happens to be listening, which I'm sure he's not, I'm going Fatal 4-Way Elimination Match with those four dudes. That's what I would book. All right, let's keep going. Plenty left from Raw and SmackDown. Let's go to SmackDown, where LA Knight was cutting a promo backstage when the screen behind him flickered with Bray Wyatt's imagery. He got upset before Wyatt approached him, introducing himself by saying he understands Knight wants respect. Wyatt himself has done things he doesn't like to get respect. Knight talked shit right back at him, telling Bray to go back, play with his puppets, and stick them wherever, basically telling him to stick them up his ass. Wyatt's eyes got wide, the screen flashed again, and then he headbutted Knight to kind of end the segment. I thought this worked really well in establishing Wyatt's first feud and moving us past the pure storytelling aspect of the gimmick. If Knight's going to take a loss, better it happen now before he's really fully established than after that, right? That's been the problem with Bray Wyatt and The Fiend previously, where people would be hot, he'd fight them, and they'd basically just kill them off. So it's better for it to happen now than allow LA Knight to kind of move past it and start getting wins um, on the back end. He's also a great foil because... LA Knight is like the one person who can actually match Bray Wyatt on the mic. This is really what Bray should be doing these first couple of months, like beating up on lower mid-card talent before getting into whatever his WrestleMania feud is going to be. So I thought this was good. Yeah, definitely good. He's such an easy, you said foil, but he's such a like easy to hate bad guy that you put anybody in front of him, it's going to work. But him kind of pointing out the Bray Wyatt things, talking about him playing with his toys, and then Bray Wyatt just kind of brushing him aside. I like it. It, it all works. So I, this is not something I expect to be some big feud. It may just it may just set up a match mm-hmm. next week or the week after. Or, or it may not even be a feud. It just may be his first match. Um, but it works, and I'm glad we got Bray Wyatt involved in the wrestling show again instead of kind of the nothingness we've had for a while. Yeah, this had to be your best Bray Wyatt segment for you in probably a couple of weeks, right? yeah yeah i mean it's different it's kind of hard to compare them but it just it felt like all right we're getting into something tangible now like now i can pay attention to it I, what did you think about last week's because we, obviously we didn't get your opinion on it i loved what we got last week if you, if you recall i'm trying to remember what was it, it was when he was cutting the promo backstage the stage hand kind of interrupted and like he went ballistic on him oh yeah um it was I, I try I barely remember it, so I guess I don't have a strong okay. opinion either way. That's fine. You've just been critical of it, so I wanted to give you the chance, but that's yeah. totally fine. All right, let's keep going. Uh Liv Morgan, Raquel Gonzalez, Shotzi, Sonia Deville, Lacey Evans, and Zia Lee fought in a six-pack challenge for the number one contendership against Ronda Rousey at Survivor Series. Evans hit Shotzi with the women's right literally one minute after the bell. And I was like, you cannot be serious. Like <laughs> I really thought for a second that was the end of the match because all the other women were outside the ring. Luckily for us, DeVille broke the fall with her running knee. Morgan ate a drop toe hold into steel steps that she set up. Rodriguez hit Zaya Lee with a big superplex. Liv went on a run blasting Zaya and Lacey in opposite corners before catching Evans with a code breaker off the ropes and Rodriguez with a falling DDT. Zaya ate Lacey with trouble in paradise. Uh, or I should say hit Lacey with trouble in paradise. Yeah, ate her. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, what? The, yeah, I just transposed the word there. Uh, Raquel then hit the Tahana bomb on her. Sonia's gimmick was basically trying to steal falls after others hit moves. She did that the whole match. And then there was a terribly sloppy spot with Rodriguez setting up a table outside to powerbomb DeVille while standing on the steel steps. But her back was to the table. And then Liv Morgan was supposed to dive off something. 
barricade, the, ta- the announce table, something, and presumably crossbody Raquel through the table. But Raquel set it up poorly, then she moved it, and Liv completely missed. And they just basically fell. Rodriguez like seemed to hit the table with her shoulder, maybe her neck. Liv seemed to hit it with her head. They were both totally okay, but it was a really ugly spot. And then back inside the ring, Shotzi caught Lacey with the leg hook DDT called Never Wake Up for the win in 12 minutes. So just unfortunate that the big spot was botched because it really took the air out of the entire thing. And given Survivor Series is a major show and it's the last premium live event of the year, wouldn't it have been better to like create a storyline for Ronda Rousey instead of just determine a contender? Like it's easy to come up with the idea of Shotzi being her contender. She's the ballsy, badass character, right? She's not scared of Ronda Rousey. So why not just make that the storyline where Ronda's out in the ring, no one can beat me. No one has the guts to stand up to me. Shotzi answers. Beats her down a little bit. Shayna Baszler comes in two on one. And then Shotzi's like, I want a chance at the title. That's it. That's all you need to do. You didn't need to do this match. I'm not saying it was bad that we got a 12 minute women's match. Trust me, I'm very happy about that. It just wasn't the best possible booking for this scenario. And another issue, this was super repetitive, Chris. I saw someone note this. It was the fourth time the WWE's done a five or six pack challenge with the SmackDown women in the last six months, all for number one contenderships. So hopefully this is the last time. I'm going to say good, mostly because it was the right booking with Shotzi winning. And there's something that happened a little bit later that was also really good. And the vast majority of the match was entertaining, not counting the botch. Putting Shotzi on a PLE with Ronda Rousey, it's a big moment for her. And it's clear that she's getting pushed given the amount of TV time she's getting. The entrance, obviously, with the tank and the pyro, all of that is really good for her. She's super talented. And if you remember, Ronda and Shotzi fought back in June, and that was a really good match. I think this one will be even better. So I'm saying good. I'm just saying I had a lot of problems with the booking here. I say good as well. It was fine. I'll tell you why you needed Shotzi to win this match instead of just interrupting Ronda is because Shotzi hasn't done anything. So let her win a singles match first. Well, this is this is a good. I, I I like the idea of earning your title shot. I agree that it's been done too many times involving the SmackDown Women's title, as that person noted. But in general, like who's going to face Ronda? I don't know. Nobody really stands out. So why not just have somebody win and, and move forward from there? So give I, me a thirty second. Totally... Give me give me a thirty second timeout interruption here. Okay. What if last week Shotzi said, "I want your title." Blah blah blah. Ronda's like, "You have to earn it." Then they did the match this week. She earned it. After the match, she gets to cut a promo on Ronda. Wouldn't that have been better? Yes, yes. Okay. But that's not what you said the first time. You just said no, no. I know. But my, <laughs> but my point is, my point is, it's better to establish her as the challenger rather than just have her be the person to randomly win a six pack challenge, and now she gets the championship. Like, do something where you're building her up before that happens. Yes, yes. That that that's. Totally fine. Totally I'm, I'm, I'm melding our two concepts together is what I'm yeah, trying to do. Yeah, yeah. No, that 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 makes sense. I like I like Triple H has kind of brought back tournaments, number one contender type of stuff. Like that's important as opposed to just oh you bumped into somebody backstage and now we've got a title match. Like they it was something WWE lined on way too much. Now maybe they're leaning too much in the other direction, but I'm never going to hate too much on somebody winning a number one contender spot. Yeah, I, I don't think there was anything inherently wrong with that happening. I'm just saying there's better ways to do it. That's really the the, the, mm-hmm. the crux of what I'm trying to get across here. So there's more to this. Uh, Emma congratulated Shotzi backstage. Emma was not in the match. 
and she gave her a boost of confidence against Rousey before she fights Rousey. Then she asked Shotzi if she's seen Madcap Moss, perhaps forgetting that Shotzi was literally just in the ring two minutes earlier and hasn't been like backstage and catering looking for Madcap Moss. Shotzi joked that Emma was crushing on him in reality. There are, she is crushing on him because Emma is dating Madcap Moss. Yes. Uh, Shayna Baszler then came up and said all Shotzi won was a beating and injuries on behalf of Rousey. Shotzi said she'd prove that she belonged by taking whatever Ronda had to offer. Rousey was behind her. And when Shotzi turned around, Baszler choked her ass out. As I said earlier, this could have been the storyline itself without doing the repetitive six-woman match to determine a number one contender. And I still don't understand the idea, Chris, of the baddest woman on the planet needing a heavy in Baszler. But if they do eventually a two-woman power trip angle, it could work. For now, this was good. Everyone played their parts well. It's just a couple holes in the whole thing where it's kind of like, why are they exactly doing this at this point, right? Yeah, I mean, like, two-man power trip was one of my favorite things in, in the 90s, but it's not like there was a bunch of titles for Shotzi and Ronda to to pick up. I The idea of Ronda having a muscle is in itself a heel move because she shouldn't need it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... It 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 um it works. I'm liking the Ronda Shotzi stuff. I'm liking the idea that these two women are going to push around everybody in the division, makes them more heels. It's something for uh, Shayna to do. I like it. Alrighty, two more things here. First, did you notice that there was a production team member like just doing his job in the background while Shotzi was getting choked out? Like I don't know if it was intentional, but I <laughs> laughed because it's like this guy is just going about his business like it's a normal workplace. He looks to his right and a woman's getting choked out. Did you happen to notice that? <laughs> I did not catch up. Right. Go back point. and watch it. It's really funny. Uh, also, I guess maybe Moss and Emma may get on screen together. Hopefully this actually results in like him changing his character and name because the guy is still a blank slate that can be molded. And this might actually get me interested in Emma. Like the idea that she could maybe take him shopping to, you know, get clothes and, you know, like do like a whole type of gimmick change. Kind of like what, um, who did Nia Jax do that with? Was it Reggie? Uh, yes, Reggie. So like the uh, that kind of concept, not that he needs a makeover, but like that she can say, hey, you know, cut your hair or do this. And like, what does Madcap mean? And just like, like call out the absurdity of what this guy is right now. I like the idea of them doing a romance angle and the fact that they're actually dating in real life makes the entire thing work. So I was curious if you were also interested in that. It's something to do. And right now they're doing nothing. So I don't hate it. It's better than nothing, right? All right, uh, the OC on Raw were backstage confident now against Judgment Day with Luke Gallows taking credit for Mia Yim joining them. AJ Styles challenged Finn Balor one-on-one at Survivor Series. Much later in the show, Balor accepted that challenge. Then Carl Anderson, going back to the original segment we're talking about here, revealed Mia Yim's nickname is Nichen, which means crazy in Korean. And I saw them uh, trademark this. And when I heard them say it, I thought this was going to be a name change for her, given like they purposely took time to explain it on TV. Very similar to kind of what they did with Dewdrop, right? Except they never really said she was Piper Nevin. But then throughout the remainder of the show, they called her both Mia Yim and Michin. So either it's a slow developing name change or they're just giving her a nickname and giving her something else to go by. So we had Mia Yim against Tamina in a match. Rhea Ripley and Dominic Mysterio came out to watch. Yim avoided the Superfly splash. It was so quiet during this match that there were like three fans singing, oh, bask in his glory for Keith Lee. And you could hear them on TV. 
for anyone who still thinks, by the way, WWE inserts audio into the broadcast, here's your example of them not doing it. Uh, damage control watched backstage. Yim hit eat defeat, which is like a pull down boot to the face to win in two minutes. I really don't like that finisher, but she's always used it. Uh, commentary though, Chris, was horrendous here. They did absolutely nothing during the match to get her over. And they even called her finish well after the bell had rang. Rhea teased entering the ring. She ultimately did not. But despite like the backstage segment with Mia Yim and OC, that was entertaining. And it was kind of cool that like she's the sister to their brotherhood. Like, you know, that's, that's all nice. But this match and the way commentary just botched the entire thing, it was bad. Yeah, like they tried to emphasize Mia Yim and push her, which honestly is the biggest push she's ever gotten on the main roster, by far the largest any acknowledgement. But kind of like with some of the other stuff that we've mentioned, just kind of missing it. Just things that aren't quite hitting, things aren't, aren't happening at the right time. Just a lot of unforced errors in terms of trying to get her over. So like I appreciate the effort, but the execution was kind of a miss. I'm, I'm right on the edge of between good and bad because of that. Did you give it a bad? I did. I. You don't have to agree. I think. Yeah, I think I'm still going to lean on the good because you you can see what they were trying to do. That's fair. That's fair. One more thing before we moved on, since I already mentioned it. I know we said we'd give Kevin Patrick a few months here, like to develop and and to judge him. But Chris, Jonathan P wrote in about this. So I was already going to mention it. And I I agree with the comment that he sent in. Uh, Raw commentary, it's terrible right now. He doesn't make anything feel important. It's the most like paint by numbers commentary I've maybe ever heard. From someone who, by the way, is actually capable and talented. Like when he does the, the kickoff shows and backstage interviews, he's really good. This is square peg round hole. It's more square peg round hole than Renee Paquette, Renee uh, Young, previously when she was on Raw Commentary. I thought she was improving before they took her off of it. But this with Kevin Patrick, for me, it's getting worse by the week. I don't know if removing Jimmy Smith was a WWE decision or he chose not to come back, but this is not working. It's as simple as that. Yeah, it's just it hasn't gotten better. It, it just you're right. He doesn't feel like a play by play announcer. Corey Graves is, ends up ends up taking a lot of it. And it's almost like Evan Patrick is sometimes being the the color commentator. I'm just I still just remain very confused by the move and why they moved away from Jimmy Smith, who who he didn't have the catchphrases. He didn't have things that take you above and beyond. But he had all the basics. He had all the groundwork in there mm-hmm. that Kevin Patrick's just doesn't have and he's still trying to figure it out and it just it still all comes across as awkward because he hadn't really done it on the stage before jimmy jimmy had everything except for the passion for wrestling which you need you know so it's understandable that that didn't work out but there's got to be someone out there from some promotion a smaller promotion that does commentary better than this that you can hire like it's it's just it's unbelievable that they can't find someone like if michael cole was calling this match just by comparison he would have talked about Mia Yim coming out, and by the way, because WWE allows people to mention other organizations now, right? How Mia Yim, and I actually don't know whether she was knockout champion in Impact. Maybe you can look it up while I'm talking right now. But how Mia Yim just had a great run in Impact, and she's on the best, she's doing the best work of her career, and she's such a strong fighter that she can take on a woman of Tamina's size, and she's extremely capable in the ring. Her finisher is devastating. No one kicks out from it. There's a million things that you could say about Mia Yim. Talk about her run in NXT. And they just didn't do any of it. They're just like, 
here's a match with Mia Yim and Tamina. We're going to treat them as two generic women who are wrestling each other. We're going to talk about stuff that really doesn't have to do with them as individuals, but Mia Yim in particular, who's the one who's supposed to be getting over here. And I, the match was bad. The commentary was ugly. Like I, it, it's, it's, it's so frustrating that on a three hour show, again, I want to state, I really like Kevin Patrick as a person. And I think like he's really good at everything else he was doing before this. But on a three-hour show, you have to have someone way, way better than him in the play-by-play chair. Yeah, uh, Wikipedia says Mia Yim won the TNA Knockouts Championship one time. So, but I'm not in her was, in her recent run or no? I it doesn't it doesn't say. So it, okay. I'm guessing that was a while back and not not the. Because it's TNA, recent, right? right? Yeah, it would happen. But but there's a point, and there was I don't know if I wrote it down. She had long, numerous knockouts championship matches, though I know that were really yeah. good. People praised but, them. I didn't see them, but I heard they were. But really to good. your point, and we'll get just that point of commentary, and we'll talk about this match later. But Michael Cole has gotten so much better, so much better since the Triple H change because he can do all of those things. He can bring in the knowledge of wrestling he has. He can tell these past stories. When they talked about Santos Escobar, he talks about his dad in a hundred years of, of Lucha wrestling history. And that goes so far into understanding and feeling and developing a character. And that's not all scripted. It's not like, all right, this match, we're going to say this thing. Sometimes that's just, you know, if they're given the freedom to just kind of talk about that a little bit, they've talked about past championships and other promotions now, and that has added so much to making people feel like a bigger deal. And we just haven't really gotten that from, from Kevin Patrick. Yeah, just totally frustrating. We'll keep going here. Plenty more to talk about. Uh, Shelton Benjamin was being interviewed when Dominic Mysterio and Damian Priest came up making fun of his recent failures. Shelton promised to whip Dom the way Ray should have. Priest got in his face with Dom hiding behind him, talking trash and repeating everything Priest said. Because Dom repeated a challenge that Priest issued, Shelton accepted it for Dom, not Damian. So we got Dominic against Shelton Benjamin. Dom hit a flinging senton over the ropes and a casadora into a 619 setup. But Benjamin recovered with an exploder and an ankle lock. Ripley distracted so Priest could drag Dom to the ropes. Shelton kept talking trash to Priest. That gave Dom an opening to throw him into the ring post. Then he had a DDT and the frog splash to win in five minutes and 30 seconds. It was a pretty low energy match and the fans were mostly booing the heels the entire time. But I thought it was kind of a smart way to build up Dom's profile with a victory, given he doesn't really have many of those. And I'm kind of loving him as this like little chicken shit asshole hiding behind his big brother's (laughs) rather than the goody two-shoes kid overprotected by his father. It's a complete 180 from a gimmick standpoint. I found it to be refreshing, and this was good. I, yeah, I was actually confused about the challenge. I thought Damien Priest had accepted it. I was like, oh, this is Dominic just getting out of it. And then no Dominic's in the match. I was like, oh, okay. I almost kind of would have preferred Dominic avoiding challenges. And then at some point he gets thrown in the ring and people start, he finally gets to get beat on and the fans cheer and stuff like that. So I, I think you could have drawn it out a little bit more. That said, giving Dominic a win over Shelton Benjamin makes complete sense. It was, it was, it was set up. This goes back to what I've said about judgment day for a while now. And it's what's mi- It's what's been missing with damage control. I always get the feeling from judgment day that they love hanging out together. Mm-hmm. that they love being together backstage and doing stuff. And it's not always all of them together. Maybe it's just two. It's, it's Dom and Rhea or it's Dom and uh, Damian Priest. Priest. Yeah. I, I just, you kind of, you, you, you feel their connection as a faction and that's great. And that's why, that's why we've really been enjoying them. And I think that's what, it's just an example of 
over the past couple months, what I haven't, what I felt like I've been missing from damage control. I love that backstage segment, uh, setting up that challenge. I just, I, I thought that was really good. The other thing is they've all been able to show their personalities. And when you mm-hmm. compare it directly to damage control, Bailey, you already know what she is. So there's nothing new coming there. Dakota Kai hasn't been great thus far on the mic. And, you know, she's not really being able to show that personality. And we're just starting to see EOS guy's personality crack. And we saw it with Asuka last week, which was outstanding. And we saw it this week with some of her facial expressions and mannerisms in the segments that she was. And wouldn't you know it, we're really moving directly into that right now. But that is the reason, I think, for the differential in how uh, Judgment Day is viewed by fans and the way Damage Control is viewed. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see if Damage Control improves that. So let's go to them right now. Uh, EO Sky had a match against Dana Brooke. Dana cut a taped promo. She was upset about the 24-7 title being thrown in the trash. Nikki Cross joined Damage Control at ringside. Io hit a springboard dropkick and caught Dana's handspring for a German suplex. She added a Meteora and the Over the Moon Salt for the win in three minutes. This was a great little feature spot for Io. And I thought, you know, if you're going to do a squash match, unfortunately, Dana Brooks is the appropriate person to do that against. This was good. Yes, it was good. Good step in the right direction. Didn't think it was great. It was fine, but it was, it was something that was needed. It's good to get EO Sky in, in a spot like that. I, I wasn't here last week. I think last week was when you kind of put the pin in the 24-7 title because it's gone, right? I did, yes. I, I just wanted to give my brief thoughts on that, and that is, man, what a freaking missed opportunity that was. Like That title could have been so much fun mm-hmm. and done so many things, and there was just a complete lack of creativity and interest from whoever decided what to do with it. And it's really just really sad that they botched it because like, I think about, think about the hardcore championship in the late nineties and how much fun and different things you could do with that. And then you, what, and then taking it even step further, you've got the, it's in DDT wrestling in Japan, the Ironman heavy metal weight championship which is just, it's been won by a cat. It's been won by a ladder. It's been won by random people, uh, wrestling journalists, like just a a, a different title belt won the title one time. Like it was, it's so much fun to just like track all the funny things you could do with this. You could put it, you could, you could have thrown stuff on your TikTok or your Instagram. You got to follow all the WWE social channels to, to follow along the lineage of the title and where mm-hmm. it's going. It's, there are so many things you could have done with this and they did nothing. They did nothing with that. They just did the same. Everybody runs in the ring and, and does a little thing or our truth gets there. You get five roll-ups and the same person wins it at the end. Just the absolute bottom of the barrel creativity with that thing. And it's a real shame. I thought there was so much you could do with it and they didn't. And I just wanted to, Say that, given it's the last time we can talk about that. Yeah, incredibly frustrating. And yes, the the whole concept of um, in 2020, you know, which is kind of when it started or whenever, what you can do from a technological standpoint, um, Instagram Live, TikTok, YouTube, like there's so many different things you could do. Them crashing like the MTV Movie Awards and doing a match on stage. Like there's a myriad of things that they could have done and had it be super interesting and, and given it to people who actually mattered and could have, you know, entertained with it. It just was um, a total waste that they basically did nothing with the 24 seven championship and completely, completely missed a legitimate opportunity they had to make something out of it. So as I said, a lot of these storylines kind of intertwined with one another. So backstage after Mia Yim's match 
that we already discussed earlier. Damage Control welcomed her back to WWE, wondering how she was forgotten about for so long, suggesting she's just like them and should join their War Games team. Yim said she had no problems with the baby faces. Io Sky then threatened her a little bit until the OC entered with a bucket of beers to celebrate her win. After Io's match, Mia came out and agreed with Damage Control about needing to pick a side for War Games. Then she paused and the baby faces entered, indicating the sides had been evened 4-4 she would be on. Bianca Belair's team. Ripley then approached the heels backstage, saying there's no need for them to keep looking. It's time to go to war. Bailey quickly accepted. And then later backstage, Bianca Belair said their fifth member will be just as capable as Ripley. And then she cut this really swag-filled promo that the ladies kind of led to them puffing out their chest, really confident and excited as they walked out. So this backstage segment with Yim and OC, I thought that was really good compared to the match. Just again, the brotherhood and sisterhood of them treating her like one of their own. I just think that's really a cool concept. And it made sense within the framework of both their storyline and the other storyline to give Mia Yim that kind of rub from damage control. The booking's a tad disappointing to me personally, given what I thought could have been better options. But with Ripley now siding with the heels, that open spot for the faces should ideally be big when it is announced next week. Now we're going to cover that in a minute. Who could be in that spot? For this though, it's kind of uninspired to just throw Yim and Ripley into someone else's feud. But that said, they are the best active, healthy women on Raw. And I like the backstage segments to build up the go-home show with the mood among damage control completely changing when Ripley walked in as if she just raised the rent of the entire team. I thought that was really cool to see. And this entire thing was good. Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't a surprise to me that Mia Yim sided with the faces. I mean, like she had already, she was already with the OC. Like we knew she was on the side of the good guys. So it was kind of just like in context, it was weird that Damage Control, control thought she might join. But yeah, like it, it makes it makes sense. It is weird to like, here's Mia Yim with this group. And now she's going to be in a match with another group. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Like that was because because I kept thinking, hey, like maybe they're going to do Judgment Day versus the OC as a Survivor Series match. So did but, I. Yep. But we're just apparently not doing that. So Mia Yim came back to be in the group only to be involved in non-group things, which was kind of weird. Um, so it was it was fine. It, it, I guess, okay, can we talk about War Games here for one second too, by the way? Is so I want to touch, touch on the Survivor Series point you just mentioned before okay. we talk, talk about War Games because okay. I had it as a note as well. I mentioned that like, I kind of hoped for a little bit of different booking. And look, we can't always get what we want, right? Uh, and we can't criticize WWE just because their booking or AEW or whoever doesn't line up with our fantasy booking. Mm -hmm. But I think what you just said, a traditional Survivor Series elimination match with the OC and Judgment Day on opposite sides would have made a ton of sense. What was the point of evening the sides ahead of a big show only to do a singles match and yeah. insert Yim and Ripley in someone else's feud. Like, you know what I mean? The singles match, of course, is Styles and Balor. So you, you finally even these sides, four on four, right ahead of Survivor Series. What does that allow you to do? It allows you to do a traditional Survivor Series match. And given the fact that Rhea Ripley is who she is and has been beating up guys for this entire period of time, you can even suspend the intergender rules where the women can only touch the women. Basically, what you do is you have Ripley pin Mia Yim, and then you have Luke Gallows roll up Rhea Ripley, and then she gets eliminated. Like, it's really, really easy to do it. So 
This to me was a total missed opportunity to not do a traditional Survivor Series match with these two teams. Yeah, look, mate, look, mate, you're figuring you're doing two War Games matches. You've typically kept your pay-per-views at around three hours. Maybe you don't want, you know, three really long matches. So, like, that's fine. It's just it's just weird. I just, it, it, it wasn't as much fantasy booking as much as it felt like they were leading us to that. Right. Like you said, what's the point of evening the sides if it doesn't matter if the sides are really all that? Like, what are they going to do? Do a four-on-four match? in a main event of Raw, there's two months before the Royal Rumble. So like, they're just going to do that same match on TV. Like, you know, it's it's less impactful. Yeah. So what did you want to say about uh, War Games? The promotion of this, of the War Games matches. Why are they not using the deep library in the history of War Games? I can tell you. Well, I already had a rant (laughs) Okay, go, go piled go. up. I'm not gonna. I won't go deep into it. But no, I'm no, just do, do say whatever you want. They're only they're only showing you the NXT stuff, and it's like here's this NXT match we're doing. Why are we not getting Dusty Rhodes involved and stuff? They have this stuff on the network. I'm 99 sure I've watched some of it. The Ringer, when the Ringer got the exclusive announcement of the War Games, they ranked all the greatest War Games matches. So I'm just surprised we haven't gotten any like clips of like the history of this match. Instead, it's just playing War Pigs over and over and showing some NXT highlights. I've, I've been very surprised at that. What, what is the reason? So the reason is because the old War Games stuff that WWE has looks completely different from what their current War Games is. They have the, the top on it. They do all the sparklers as it comes down. Uh, it's just not the same match. It looks like a double hell in a cell, the old War Games. The current War Games, not only is it higher quality because it's taped in HD cameras in the 2010s and 2020s, um, but it's different looking. So that's the reason why. But there is also was a report that to, to expect this year in war games, there to be a number of um, major spots in these matches for the very purpose of what you just mentioned, that they want it for future video packages because this is a match that they're going to do a lot more frequently. So it's funny that you mentioned that because that is a report that's out there. Um, but yes, that's the reason why they're not using WCW stuff. Do I think they could have? Absolutely. Um, no, I think, the, the, I think that's a very that dumb do- reason. I think that's well, a very the packages, dumb reason. The packages that they're doing right now are very, um, they're very quickly clipped together for highlight yeah. purposes, right? If they had done something for war games, like they did for the United States Championship and the Intercontinental Championship, when they were trying to reestablish those titles, then I think they would have used old WCW footage. But that's not really what this was. This is a promo package, not so much a, hey, don't forget about this awesome old school match that has history that we're trying to bring back. I think that's I just, the differential. I, I just, I can't believe they're, for a company that always leans on the history, even if it's not their own history, they do so many ECW things. Like, I I don't think anyone's going to look, wait a minute, that, 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 uh, our War Games match from 1992, there's a, there's a, roof on the cage what is this this is totally <laughs> different. it's the same thing like i you could t- tell tell viewers hey go to peacock watch super brawl watch like all these old things like i'm just for a company that leans so much on the history of wrestling and tries to own the history of wrestling i'm very surprised they're kind of trying to be like nah we invented war games in nxt and this is what it is i'm just very very surprised yeah it's fair enough uh, now, in terms of the fifth woman, right, for the baby faces here, my expectations were 
relatively low until Bel Air's promo. She made me now completely believe it's going to be the best case scenario, which is Becky Lynch coming back. That's how that promo came off. When she's like, it doesn't matter about Rhea Ripley. We got someone just as good, if not better. It's basically what she said. Now, let me give you a dark horse for the final spot. That is Beth Phoenix. I don't think it's going to be her, but it does make sense within the storyline, given Rhea Ripley. They also just randomly happened to show clips of that beatdown with Beth Phoenix and Edge, where it kind of says, well, don't forget about Beth Phoenix, and she might be back soon. I don't think it's going to be her again. Now, the worst case scenario by far is Dana Brooke. An acceptable but sensible option, even though it would be lacking, is Candice LeRae. Now, don't get me wrong. Candice would be incredible as a wrestler in this match. She's been great in war games before, but she's just not established enough on the main roster right now to be a big deal if she was to like come out as the final babyface in the last spot. It would be met with crickets. So those are the four people who I could see being in this match in that spot. Who do you think it's going to be out of any of them or perhaps someone I'm not thinking about? I hope it's Becky. She was injured in what, SummerSlam? She's healthy. She's fine. She says she's she's good. If she's good to go, then it's going to be her. I don't think it's going to be Dana Brooke. The only the I, Beth Phoenix kind of because they never really did anything with that. I think I think um, uh, Candice LeRae makes the most sense because she was already kind of in their group sort of mm-hmm. for a minute there, and then they just knocked her out. So it would make sense to, for her to come back. I hope it's Becky Lynch. I think I'm going to be let down, and it's going to be. Um, Candice LeRae. Yeah, that's my concern too. My thought is maybe the reason they took Candice off TV was because they were using her as like the emergency valve where if Becky couldn't go or or didn't get clearance or whatever, then Candice could be in that spot. But I don't know how you delay the announcement of the fifth person until the go home raw next week and then announce Candice LeRae. Again, I am a huge fan of hers and she is great in war games, but she's not an exciting fifth person. Becky Lynch is an exciting fifth person. So uh, one more thing before we move on. I love the way that Ripley's being like integrated back into the women's division. She has a singles feud with Mia Yim. She's working war games with all of the major women on the brand. And she did the glance with Bianca Belair last week that I mentioned. After months of Ripley only working with the men, you can tell that she's already getting big responses when she's around the other women. The crowd's really resonating with her, or she's really resonating with the crowd, I should say. And I think they very well may be setting up. I mentioned this last week, Chris. Bel Air, Ripley, WrestleMania. Yeah, I, I mean, we're thinking if we're if we're if we're thinking Becky Ronda is one of them, and we don't know for sure, but things have kind of Seems set up in honest. a good way to do that. Yeah, uh, Bianca Rhea, I can see it, but the history of WWE tells me it'd be more likely it would be Becky Charlotte. Just because Charlotte was always in these spots. Well, I wasn't going to say Be- I wasn't going to say Becky Charlotte, Bianca Charlotte. They could do. Oh, that, I'm sorry. That's what I meant. I'm sorry. Bianca Charlotte. Okay. Charlotte. Yeah, that's what I meant. Bia- instead of Bianca Rhea, it would be Bianca Charlotte, uh, because Charlotte's always in these positions. You could do a, a triple threat a, a, as well, perhaps. Um, but as long as Charlotte is out there, she's always going to be considered in the mix for the title match at WrestleMania. Absolutely. All right, let's keep going here. Uh, Shinsuke Nakamura fought Santos Escobar in the first SmackDown World Cup match. Cole straight up promoted the Nakamura Great Muda match before the bell for 
uh, Pro Wrestling Noah. Wild times when WWE is advertising another company on national television. I just thought that was crazy. Uh, Nakamura hit his signatures with a flying knee. Uh, Escobar came back with lifted knees. Shinsuke hit a toss suplex. Legado del Fantasma distracted to prevent Kinshasa. Then Zelina Vega distracted when he tried again. Escobar then caught Nakamura on the top rope and hit a sick avalanche version of his Phantom Driver to get mm-hmm. the win in seven minutes. My only disappointment here was the show pacing. It went to commercial as soon as the match started, which means we only got like four minutes of this live. Nakamura, Escobar, you want a 12 to 15 minute match that can really showcase Santos especially if he's going to beat Shinsuke Nakamura. This was good. It just wasn't great like I thought it was going to be. It was really nice having Escobar hit a super version of his finisher with a ton of interference to give Nakamura the excuse loss. Yeah, I've been saying this for more than a year, but Santos Escobar just looks like your future world champion. He just looks like a million bucks in everything. And I'm going to assume... Did you did you see the new Black Panther movie? No spoilers here, but did you see the new Black Panther movie? My plan is to go this Friday. Okay. Well, the 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 villain in in the movie is just he's a uh I believe he's I believe he's Mexican. But but basically it's it's a Mayan themed villain and okay. the guy looks like a million bucks. And I couldn't help but think when I saw Santos Escobar cuz I saw Wakanda Forever earlier that day, Friday. And so then when I saw Santos Escobar come up, I'm just like, "Oh, like I just made like a connection and I was just like, this guy looks, I've always thought he's incredible. And like I mentioned earlier, I'm glad Cole gave us the backstory of his family, what his name means, what Phantasma means. Like that was all great stuff. We really needed. Um, Good to see him get a win. Excuse loss for Nakamura. You know, it's been a slow kind of step since Legato del Phantasma came up, but this is a good step forward. Uh, it was a nice touch also by WWE having the home country flags on the Titantron during the match. Yes. The only problem, Chris, is five of the eight participants in this are from the United States or Canada. So, I mean, like, they're probably mm-hmm. going to claim India for Jinder Mahal. Or I think they did, actually. They did. That match they was did. on the show. Um, but it just feels like they should have put more of an international flavor in here, given the roster that they have and how deep it is. I know SmackDown doesn't have as deep of a roster. But again, even if you don't count Jinder... Um, four of the remaining seven uh, were from United States or Canada. And it's like, what are you doing? Like, use some international people. It's so strange. Anyway, let's go to the second match. Braun Strowman against Jinder Mahal. Mahal cut a promo with the trophy, calling himself the greatest WWE champion of all time and saying no man could stop him. Obviously, as soon as he said that, Strowman entered immediately. Mahal was billed from India. There it is. I had the note. Uh, despite being Canadian, he attacked to get the upper hand. Braun recovered with a running shoulder tackle and a power bomb to win in two minutes. I didn't like Strowman being in this tournament at all. And I didn't like the match either. Sure, Jinder is like the one guy Braun could squash without issue. But I always disliked the idea of having a monster in a tournament and putting squash matches in a tournament, mm-hmm. especially when it's short. Not the worst thing by any means, but I am saying bad here for the creative decision. The last thing I want is Gunther Strowman. And it feels like Braun's just going to lose one of these matches because of Countout or something like that. I'd much have preferred, yes, I hate Madcap Moss as a name, but him or Karrion Cross or basically anyone else in the spot. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the World Cup 
roster here. And it's just like, you know, like the Brutes are in their own thing. Drew McIntyre is in this thing. So, like, you don't include some of those guys in who you maybe you would have. But I don't like Braun in this because it's it it's going to feel like Braun has to win this. And if he doesn't win this, it's going to be very, it's going to be via shenanigans or something like that. And, you know, I hope Escobar's the guy who wins this. I think he's the guy who could really use it. And, but now they're, they're one match away from facing each other in the final. So I, it, 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 it's kind of like, it's kind of like the, the queen of the ring. Remember oh, so many short matches. What's the point of a squash match or a short match when you're doing a tournament? Like, it's just, it's, it's, it's not helping. Anybody. Anybody. It's, right. It doesn't help anybody. Um, you know, waste of time. Yeah. Uh, Ricochet backstage talked about getting the intercontinental title back. Gunther stepped up ensuring he heard it right that Ricochet wanted to get his ass beaten down again. This was about it. Like Ricochet's fighting Mustafa Ali in the first round, which is really an odd pairing given Ricochet got the face off here with Gunther. So you know he's going to win the match. Ali seemingly is still in the United States title picture on Raw. Ali is a replacement for Rey Mysterio who got injured, as you noted. So like, you know, maybe with Seth Rollins going babyface, they're going to take Ali out of that program and they're going to use his match here to do that. But people groaned when he appeared on screen, like we talked about on Raw last week. They did it again this week. I don't have a grade here. I just, I didn't really expect this match booking. And the segment was weird to have Ricochet go right after Gunther again, almost like giving away that he's going to win the tournament. I don't know that he is, but it seems like they just gave it away. Wait, why do you think he's going to win? Because he's the only person who like walked up to Gunther and was like, I'm taking my title back and he's in the tournament. No one else has addressed him at all. Yeah, that's possible. I don't think he's I'm, going I'm, to win. Like, it's not my prediction necessarily. I'm yeah. just saying I, they told us that. It could be a red I'll herring. Do, but yeah, yeah we'll see. I, 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 as I'm looking at this again, man, like, I, I guess Ricochet, maybe Ricochet wins. But we, if we had or if we have in the future, Santos Escobar versus Rey Mysterio. Oh, man, that's going to be incredible. We could have had that in this tournament. We're not going to because... Rey Mysterio was hurt, but I just thought that I that just popped up into my head as a possibility as I'm looking at the bracket, and I well, it would have that been, but Ali point. replaced him. Yeah, yeah, no, it's not now because he's certain yeah. he's out. So Ali, I I guess maybe maybe Gunther costs Ricochet a match. Nah, I don't. See and then they do, that. and then they do a match on SmackDown, and then I don't know. You might be right. Matt Riddle fought Chad Gable on Raw backstage. Riddle said Elias was on tour. Gable tried to get him to shoosh the bongos and said he'd beat Riddle like Otis beat Elias last week. Riddle hit a broton and was going for the floating bro when Otis tore apart the steps to distract him. Gable caught Riddle all the way on the top rope with this crazy avalanche release overhead suplex. He hit some dragon screws. Gable countered bro Derek into an ankle lock. Riddle caught him in a triangle that was countered into a cliffhanger DDT. Riddle dodged a moonsault and hit a draping DDT. He flipped out of the roll through German suplex that Gable does. But Gable then caught him in a backslide with Otis holding Gable's feet down on the bottom rope for leverage and a surprise upset win in 10 minutes. There was also a fun moment backstage where Gable interrupted the babyface War Games promo to brag about his win. And then Rollins approached Gable after that, singing his theme, but using the word shoosh instead. So just really cool stuff with Gable backstage. This was a great little piece of business here. Tremendous wrestling by both these guys, a really inventive finish, and it completely countered my expectation of Riddle just getting the win. It seems like they're doing a tag team feud here with Riddle and Elias once he eventually gets back. So them both losing singles but winning as a team, it makes sense from a storytelling standpoint. So the segment 
the match, all of that was an easy good. But the pairing of Riddle and Elias is totally uninspired, and it's super frustrating for someone who likes Riddle, myself. This guy went from winning a pay-per-view main event over Seth Rollins with Daniel Cormier as the special guest referee to lower mid-card comedy, tag team comedy. I mean, what a complete and total waste. Obviously, I'm thrilled that Chad freaking Gable beat Riddle on in a singles match on TV. It was his first singles win since June and his second singles win since June 2020, meaning he was still shorty G then. I went 3.5 stars and a B for the match. Yeah, enjoy the match. I continue to love everything Chad Gable does. Love the Alpha Academy. Do not care at all for what Riddle's doing. It, it, it's wild how he went from blood feud to immediately back to jokey comedy character, and they just have nothing to do with him right now. There wasn't even Elias this week. Just He's just floating out there doing nothing, and that surprises me for somebody that you thought I didn't quite think could be a future world champion, but he's he's very far from that right now. Still think he can be. He was on the trajectory, and it's just completely just gone by the wayside. I, I can't even explain why they're doing what they're doing. It just doesn't make sense. Uh, ben at MattRat103, he said, I'm a huge Gable fan, so I'm glad he got the win over Riddle, even in Schmas fashion. But can we just appreciate Corey Graves quoting Tenacious D on commentary during the match? Yes, shout out. Uh, Jack Black, Kyle Glass, fantastic reference by Corey Graves. I did miss that, but Ben reminded me. Uh, Miz TV was a planned apology segment with Miz wearing a cardigan and some tasteful pants. Uh, Byron Saxton was a guest host. Miz read a statement and apologized for paying Dexter Loomis. Uh, but once he got too greedy, he stopped. He should have said, ah, maybe I should have just paid him anyway. Uh, Miz acted really sad and pathetic, trying to get sympathy from the crowd. Johnny Gargano, of course, interrupted, saying no one likes Miz because he always takes the easy way out. Miz is like, why wouldn't you take the easy way out? Which I thought was really funny. And he also called Miz a compulsive liar. Miz gave an exaggerated apology. Gargano said Miz should pay Loomis what he owes him. Gargano then announced Miz Loomis in two weeks for the money and a potential WWE contract. Miz talked more shit when the in-ring cameraman revealed himself to be Loomis in disguise and Miz ran away from him. So this storyline continues to be up and down, good and bad, literally changing by the week. I loved what we got last week, which meant this week, of course, had to be a downer. So yes, I'm giving it a bad. It was trite, repetitive. The whole thing just feels like it's been going on four to six weeks too long at this point. I'm just not really entertained by it anymore. So the story here is that Gargano is now fighting for the justice of Dexter Loomis getting money he's owed? Yes, because Miz <laughs> hired him. To attack him because was, he wanted to become was, a bigger celebrity. Like what a kind just, of, what, what kind of pro wrestling what kind of pro wrestling storyline is that? I'm fighting you because you owe somebody else money? Like just this thing is this thing has completely lost the thread. Uh the twist was like interesting a couple weeks ago. Like, oh, where could it go? Oh, he, he I really want Dexter Loomis to get his money. That's that that's the storyline. Nah, I'm out on it. This was bad. However, I will say. You, you, you kind of had it right. When Gargano says Miz always takes the easy way out and Miz goes, why would I take the hard way? <laughs> I just thought he delivered that. It's a really good point. Too. Well. It is like just Miz has had some lines throughout this storyline that are really funny. And so just a reminder that he is very, very good on the mic and he's good at what he does. But this storyline is completely off the rails of interest and I don't care for it. 
Uh, Zelina Vega had a scheduled match against BFAB on SmackDown. Just as this was about to begin, the Viking Raiders theme played, with Sarah Logan appearing at the Titantron in front of some fire graphics. The Raiders then attacked the men as Logan squashed BFAB with Vega running away. Ivar did a running crossbody, squashing Wild into the barricade, and then he hit Ashanti the Adonis with a splash. Topdala obviously took more effort for them to beat him down. They hit the double shoulder powerbomb called Ragnarok. Then Logan did a pop-up headbutt on BFAB and placed her hands on the kneeling Raiders' heads. I saw people shitting on this, but I gotta tell you, I was kind of surprised how much I liked it. Logan's look was unique with black paint covering her face and her hands, and the Raiders appeared even more dominant than before they left. Do I love the gimmick? No. Do I love Sarah Logan? No. Did I like this? Yeah, it was good. Yeah, I did too. I saw, I hadn't, I didn't see it live and I thought, I saw a lot of people shitting on it, like you said, but then I watched it and I was like, no, this is, this is fine. Like this is, if you're going to go all in on being Vikings, like do stuff like Valhalla is here, you know, that kind of stuff and not the, what, what were they being called before? The new, the vicious Viking Raiders? The like new not, vicious Viking yeah, Raiders. Yeah, not the corny stuff. Don't tell us show us exactly and that's what we got with this proper beatdown. sarah logan's whole look was interesting it, it was just it like it, it felt like if you're going to really do the gimmick do the gimmick and don't do it as a gimmick and it, it worked i liked it i don't know if it's going to go anywhere but like this is the first time in a long time where i was like okay i i'll, I'll take the viking raiders seriously now that I, I i liked it it was good they have our attention. The question is, will they also gain our interest? We will find out. Uh, Baron Corbin and JBL were playing poker with some random dude. Corbin won. JBL refused some fine Kentucky bourbon that was offered to him by a waiter. They were in uh, Louisville, by the way. Uh, and instead, they drank Ugandan whiskey. So let me get this straight, okay? JBL, whose gimmick is basically Texas Republican, right? would prefer to drink whiskey from Uganda to bourbon from Kentucky. I'm sure like the Ugandan whiskey is expensive and it's just something I've never heard of before, but wouldn't he be drinking like Texas tequila or Texas whiskey or something in that situation? Or have I just gone too deep, Chris, where I'm analyzing kayfabe liquor choices? Like, is this just another level that I should just let this go? It It, it is, but it's also another example of we're talking about JBL in these segments and not Baron Corbin. <laughs> it is problem. true, but okay, whatever. It bothered me. Uh, Akira Tozawa sat down after this dude left and put on glasses, demanding to play despite saying he didn't know the rules. Tozawa later was cackling with nearly the entire pot in front of him when he laid down three kings to win the rest of the money. Corbin said he was throwing down three aces. He turned them upside down. Uh, obviously, Tozawa saw that he was lying. JBL and Corbin looked disheveled, having lost a bunch of money when Tazawa challenged Corbin to fight for some reason. And then Corbin was like hesitant to fight a guy half his size, which I just couldn't understand. So then we got Corbin against Tazawa. After a great tope suicida on one side, Tazawa got caught and thrown into the barricade on the other side. Tazawa came back with a great shining wizard and a flying shoulder tackle. Corbin caught a flying crossbody, turning it into end of days for the win. This was two good segments and a bad segment combined. Like the bad was sandwiched between the two good. I'll say good here because of that. Like it was just nice to see them do something else with Corbin and JBL. But Chris, we still have no idea why they're together or what is being accomplished with them being together. 
And these guys are so rich. Why do they care about losing a few shekels to Akira Tozawa <laughs> in a poker game? Their, their cowboy hats were off. Corbin's shirt was ripped open. JBL's tie was to the side. His hair was messed up. They're that upset, these rich dudes that are so wealthy that money doesn't matter to them. They lost a couple dollars to Akira Tozawa. I did like seeing Tozawa get it, get in some decent comedy and some fun wrestling. So I am saying good, but it's really thin. Uh, I'm saying bad. It's just, it's it's still nothing. I don't know what the characters are. To your point about, you know, kayfabe and stuff, or just thinking about in-story, JBL got big because of playing poker backstage with Farouk. Like, that was the whole thing, and we did... Unless <laughs> and now it was he's losing to yeah. Unless it was a comment I missed. Like, we could have... He could have referenced that, be like, oh, man, back in the day, you know, me and me and Ron Simmons were taking everybody's money, doing the stuff, and he's, like, overconfident, and then he loses. Or he's like, I was great. I'm teaching Corbin here how to win all these games, and then they lose. Like, you, like, you could have tweaked it to, to make it better. I don't know how you don't think... Backstage poker game with JBL and, and not immediately think of the APA, but no, you're right. And, and by the way, what if JBL had come in and yeah, I know he still has his current gimmick, but what if he came in and like created Corbin as a hitman for hire and made him into like a modern day APA Bradshaw yeah. as opposed to a modern day JBL, which is basically the exact same gimmick Corbin was already doing. Yeah, the whole the whole like yeah right like the part of the whole JBL gimmick was like JBL lived that gimmick. He's on Fox business all the time. Like he does, mm-hmm. the, he really does these things. And you're just like trying to sell us Corbin as a literal poor man's version of it. JBL takes up all the oxygen because he's very entertaining and very good. And it just ends up not being about Corbin in the end. So I just, I still think tweaks need to be made. It doesn't need to be a major thing, but like, I, I think the way you kind of described it there is something that could could work or just like have the story, have it being JBL teaching Corbin like that's instead of just him being like Corbin's the new wrestling God. Look how great he is. Yeah. Like it could be like he goes through the process of teaching him and he's learning how to do heelish things and stuff like that. I don't know, like there's you, no you say to him, you say character. to him, you don't fight guys like this. You only fight matches where you get paid, you know? Yeah. Uh, or, you know, you have him do things like you're, you're exactly right along that nature. Um, have him not be concerned about certain things. Have him immediately start going after championships. Like they're, they're just, they're together, but nothing is happening. Like Corbin is the exact same character with his real first name back and JBL by his side with Bradshaw taking up, like you said, all of the oxygen in the room. It's just not working. It has about as much chance of getting over as Orange Cassidy. It's got about as much chance of getting over as... Orange it should also be noted on the way out here. Tozawa tweeted a picture after the match, after Raw, of his black ninja gi crumbled up with a note that said, thank you. And then Nikki Cross replied to that tweet with a heart. So he's either exiting WWE or he's finally getting the gimmick change, which he should have had a long time ago. If he is done with WWE, certainly not surprising given the circumstances. At least he went out on a high note and WWE didn't just squash him. They actually allowed him to be funny and look good against Corbin. So kudos to them if that's the case. Yeah. And that is really it, uh, folks, for this week's edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, WWE edition at least. Allow me to tell you what is coming up here on the show. So because it is an AEW pay-per-view week, we are going to go ahead and cut NXT out of that normal show, which means 
we're doing a four episode week here on getting over on Wednesday. We will have an NXT episode. It's also a really big edition of the show with two major championships on the line. Braun Breaker defending against Von Wagner, Mandy Rose defending against Alba Fire. So NXT is going to be its own show on Wednesday. That's going to open up extra time for us on Thursday to do an AEW full gear ultimate preview. There's a very good chance vintage Chris Vanini is along for the ride on that episode. We certainly hope he is there for that. And then this weekend, AEW full gear instant analysis as soon as that goes off the air. Don't forget, we will also have an AEW full gear pre-show live on Twitter spaces. You can join in that. You can comment, uh, ask questions, just listen to us break down every match before the show one final time by following us on Twitter at getting overcast. We are not buying the blue verified check mark, uh, but our account is still up and running there at getting overcast on Twitter. Also, please do not forget, we don't ask much from you here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. The one thing we do ask though is that you remember that this show is So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Drop those five-star ratings on Apple. Take a few moments. Leave a five-star written review for us. And if you do, we will read it here live on the show, just like we did a little bit earlier. Thanks once again to Vintage Chris Vanini making his return, joining us once again for this WWE edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. It is now the Silver King's turn to sign off and leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.